Welcome to the Frameworks and Finance Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. Each week we talk about frameworks and finance concepts for your life and work. Let's learn together today. Today I'm joined by Joshua Becker of becomingminimalist.com. One weekend, Joshua was cleaning his garage when his neighbor mentioned to his daughter uh, that his daughter was doing something called minimalism. As Joshua watched his son play in the backyard alone, he was forced to ask the question, why do we own all this stuff? Which started his journey into minimalism, which today has turned into his blog, becomingminimalist.com, which has over 1 million readers every single month and is the best-selling author of five books. His most recent one being Things That Matter, which we're going to talk about today. So today we'll talk about money, work and leisure, technology, and how being a minimalist has affected each of these for Joshua. So Joshua, I'm excited to have you on today. Early in the book, you said that you would have regretted not writing this book. Uh, Can you tell us about that story and um, why you would have regretted it? I wrote two books on minimalism, The More of Less and The Minimalist Home. And I discovered through that process that uh, I really don't like writing books. <laughs> it is, uh, it is a lot of hard work, um, uh, a lot of thinking that uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm good at. I, 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 I love blogging. I love the eight hundred to thousand word articles. You get one thought out. I love writing in that way, but um, stringing together sixty thousand words in a way that that keeps the reader leaning forward in the book was uh, just something that was very difficult for me unless I had uh, really good help um, from from an editor who would uh, push me really hard. So I thought I was going to be done writing books. Um, but uh, several years ago, I attended a uh, a, a workshop is an evening workshop by a guy named Charlie Gilkey, uh, who had written a book called Start Finishing. And uh, he was a friend of mine. He was doing this workshop. So I wanted to go and uh, learn whatever I could from him. And his whole book is about finishing projects that you start. Like what are the practical nuts and bolts ways to finish things that, that you start that are important to you? And uh, at the beginning of the evening, he said, uh, I want you to apply these principles to something very specific in your life. And so he said, I want you all to close your eyes and answer this question. If you were to die today, what is the one thing you would most regret not finishing in your life? Uh, What is the one thing you would most regret not completing? And my mind immediately raced to uh, writing this book, uh, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. I, um, uh, it's topics that I had written about for years, but had never written down in a systematic way, something that, would, that could outlive me and, and outlive, my, outlive my life and allow people to find it. Uh, at at any point uh, or anywhere they might be, and so that was the that was the evening where I decided to to write the book. <laughs> that's a that's a good story. Why why did it? Why was this book you know something that you felt like needed to be written? It's a it's a it's a fascinating question, and I included it in the book just as like um, a way to frame 
my passion behind what I was going to write. And then as soon as the book came out, it became one of the most talked about sections in the entire book. That question, (laughs) if I were to die today, what is the one thing I would most regret not not completing with my life? Um, And I uh, people find it very helpful. And it is actually a very life defining question and uh, something that I think we should all uh, take the time take the time to answer. Um, now I forget your specific question. You, uh, uh, you asked me something and then I went off on a tangent. What did you ask? Yeah, no, you're good. I'm sorry. Why, why was this book so important to you? Like what was the desire behind that? Sure. Um, number one, I think, I, I think the topics in the book are really important. Uh, when people hear the title overcoming things that matter, overcoming distraction to pursue a more meaningful life. Most people think of Oh, good. He's going to help me learn how to put my phone away when I get home or stay off of social media. And there is a chapter on technology in the book, but the the book really dives into, I think, much deeper distractions, uh, deeper societal distractions that keep us from meaning and keep us from fulfillment. So like you mentioned, topics about money uh, topics about leisure, um, accolades, even fear and past mistakes. And, and my heart behind the book, my, my, uh, a series of stories that, that led to this realization, but, um, really I, I get, I got to the point where I asked myself, how do I get to the end of my life proud of the way I chose to live. Like, how do I get to the end of my life with fewer regrets? And I think that we accomplish that by taking the time to identify what is most important and what is essential, and then taking the next step of finding what are all the things in my life that are actually distracting me from those things that bring me meaning and fulfillment, and then learning to overcome those distractions every day. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned that you asked a question about purpose and 70, you said 70% of the respondents said they had a clear purpose, but I don't know, you know, and I, I I don't know about you, but when I look at the people around me, when I talk to people, I don't get the sense that people have a good idea of what their actual purpose is. I feel like in some ways they answered that question because that was how they wanted to answer that question versus what they actually felt like. What do you, uh, you know, when you talk about purpose and like a meaningful, intentional life, like how do you go about pursuing that? And, and how, why do you think people responded that way? Probably the, the helpful filter for understanding. So we conducted a survey for the book and one of the questions was, do you, uh, do you, have you identified a clear purpose for your life? And 70% uh, said yes. The second question we asked is, how often do you feel you are spending time and resources on less important pursuits than that purpose. <clears throat> and 77% of people said that they are frequently, uh, often or always, uh, spending time and resources on things that aren't their clear purpose. And so I think to answer your question, like I think you can look at people's lives and wonder if they, like, all the things that you seem to be chasing don't seem to align with at least what I think you would say your purpose is in life. And so do you really have that purpose? And I think the reality is when you 
like when you when you dig deep into your into your heart that that the when you get alone in a room and get quiet by yourself and get away from the noise of the world that that yeah probably a good portion of people could identify hey you know what my family is most important to me my faith is most important to me uh, I, I really want to make a positive difference in the world i'm really passionate about solving this problem in the world i think a lot of people um uh, can in fact identify what what their what their uh, main purpose is in life. Uh, the problem is is that most of us are so often distracted from it, um, and I think that's where that second part of that question uh, really helps. I think shed a light on on why that number might be so high. Yeah, and I think you know, like you said, they probably understand the high level idea of what their purpose is, but very few people I feel like have gone down tactically to what that means in there every day. And it seems like you have a really good grasp of that. Um, I, 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 I try to, I, I try to, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of the problems is that it, is that it changes. Um, yeah. you know, I, I can have, I always say my, my three most important values are, um, number one, my faith, uh, number two, my family and relationships, and then number three, making, making a difference in the world. And I'm, I'm 47 now. My, my first son just moved out and my daughter has two more years at home. And so the reality of, um, my family is a high value to me, but what are the very practical goals and the practical ways that I live that out look very different from when they're four to five years old, from when they're 20 to 24. And so, so these very practical things can, can change over time. I'm, like I mentioned, I'm I'm 47, and so <clears throat> I've collected different skills, and I've discovered different things that I'm good at. I've become uh, passionate about different problems that I see in the world over the last 20 years, and so I still want to make an impact in the world. But what is the specific impact that I want to make, or that I can make? I think changes the the more we learn about ourselves, um, and so. Um, even even faith to an extent, um, I don't think that my 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 religious faith has changed. But um, how does that live out when I'm twenty year twenty year old single in college versus you know mid forties and uh, running a business with you know two teenagers at home? And so just even yeah. uh, even even that one, uh, I think um, it it. <clears throat> It requires effort. I, I think that's the 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 most important thing that that it requires intentionality. It requires us to take time to think through what is important to me. Um, what can I accomplish in these areas? What are the things that are distracting me from it? Um, even if it's easy for us to define those values, um, they how they how they play out daily changes from from year to year and season to season. Yeah. And I think embracing that is so key because if you don't embrace that, then you just constantly wonder why you're off track or why you're going a different direction. But going, going back to the distractions piece of it, because I do think the reality is, is those distractions are generally what's keeping you from your purpose, what's keeping you from living those things out. You mentioned eight of those in the book, but we're going to focus on uh, we're going to focus on four of them. So I'm going to jump into 
uh, money because this is a show that's that revolves around money uh, in a lot of ways. So you, I'm going to go through some of your survey results again and and want to want to hit on some of these. That 79% of your survey respondents thought that they'd be more happy with more money. 69% said that the desire for more influence their daily decisions. And I think that's probably actually pretty low. I think if you got down into it, it's probably actually a little bit higher. It says, why do you feel like the purpose, uh, why do you feel like this distraction of money is is such a big thing? Money uh, becomes such a significant distraction in our lives because it can never satisfy the things we want it to satisfy. So um, I, I like to explain it this way. <clears throat> um, uh, well, namely, namely two things, uh, happiness and security. Uh, we, we think that enough money will bring us security or will, will bring us happiness. And so what happens is we, we have a certain amount of income or a certain amount of net worth, and um, we see people who have more money, and we assume that they uh, don't have the same stress related to money that we have, uh, or we assume that they're happier because they're able to go do the things or have the things that that we think are going to make us happy. And so we get this, uh, I don't know if we get a, a, a specific number in our head, sometimes we do, where like, okay, if I could just make that much money, or if I could just have this much net worth, if I could just reach a million dollars net worth, then I wouldn't worry about money at all. And then we work really hard. Uh, we think that more money is going to make us happier. We we save the money. We make the more money. We make sacrifices. We uh, we we make we make little adjustments in our life. We chase the the more work or whatever it might be, uh, and we reach the million dollar net worth. And we find out that we're not actually, we don't actually feel that secure, that I'm still kind of worried about not having enough money, that my happiness in life hasn't really changed all that much. And rather than thinking, okay, it's not money that's going to bring me security. It's not money that's going to bring me happiness. Rather than making that realization, we just think to ourselves, I just had the wrong number. And mm -hmm. maybe if I had 2 million net worth, or if my income was that much more, then I would feel secure and I would feel happy. Um, and so I think that we get in this constant loop of constantly chasing uh, more and more money. Money is one of those things that, that we all have some sort of need for money because we have you know, the need to live. So it's not one like, you know, in the past I've, you know, completely cut out social media, right? Because it was a distraction or completely cut out other things because it was, but money is always something that's going to be there. So I'm looking to you right now to solve the world's problem that no one can ever solve. Of how do we combat that? How do we stop that desire, or that distraction? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's solve the let's solve the world's problems. Uh, and and you're totally right. And I and I hope people I hope people don't hear me, you know, going to the other extreme that 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 there aren't some people who 
who don't have enough money. Like uh, the reality is that there there certainly are you know lots of people in the world who who need more money and and are struggling to and and a little financial security would uh, would be helpful to them. Uh, it's just not nearly as many people as we think it is. Um, uh, is is kind of the way I I think about it. And the <clears throat> uh, I maybe I didn't even say that the way I wanted to say that. Um, it's just not always us are the ones who who need more money. Um, so I think the way we I think the way we overcome this is we realize when we have enough money already. Uh, if the realization is that there's enough income for my family, then I don't have to keep chasing more and more and more money. Um, and the way I think we start doing this is I always encourage people, if you want to realize if you have enough money or not, start giving some away. Uh, if you mm. were to give away $10 a week uh, for the next three months, and you discover at the end of those three months that you still have a roof over your head, you still have clothes, you still have food, you still have transportation, like you still have everything that you need, then what you start to realize is not only do I have enough money coming in, I have more than enough money. I have so much money coming in that I can give some money away and still be okay going forward. Um, and I, I think that I would say that one of the greatest benefits of generosity is the realization that we already have enough, um, that, that we can give and that we can get by on our own. Yeah, and I think practically we have all these things in our head that we need that we don't actually need. And what you've implemented there is a mechanism that forces you to pull back with less, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, so many of these conversations go back to uh, go back to my discovering minimalism and uh, and the realization of um, how few possessions we actually need to get by. How most of the things that we're accumulating and chasing are actually distracting us from from the things that that we truly want in life. Um, and I think once we discover that we don't constantly need to be buying more and more and more things that uh, we can start seeing money in a, in a little different way and um, all the things that we're, uh, we're buying that, that aren't really contributing to our lives, but um, yeah. might actually be uh, detracting from them. Yeah. Well, and you, I think you mentioned in the book or it may have been somewhere else that I heard that that part of your going and in, in becoming a writer in, in this website is at some point in there, you started your nonprofit, The Hope Effect. And I think that had to do with some of some of that realization as well. Can you talk about uh, kind of the origin story of that and what that motivation was? Yeah, probably the uh, probably the exact opposite of the way uh, of the way you said it. The uh, the writing about minimalism led to uh, led to the nonprofit as opposed to the uh, as opposed to the other way around. But yeah, the origin story is um, I started writing about minimalism. I. I I first started writing just on a blog about 
uh, how it was changing my life. And then uh, after a couple of years, I remember uh, I wrote a I wrote a post about getting rid of belts and I'm like, I'm writing about belts. Uh, maybe there's a, a better thing that I can do here in the world. And so really started writing about like, how can I inspire other people um, to see the benefits of owning less and, and minimalism? <clears throat> and so that's when the blog really started to grow. Uh, fast forward quite a few years and the blog has grown considerably. Uh, I was in touch with a, uh, with a literary agent who um, uh, was pushing me to, to write a book. And so uh, we, we pitched a book idea about minimalism, uh, sent it out to 10 publishers, nine publishers made offers on the book. And I asked my agent, I said, well, what do we do now? And he said, well, now they just bid against each other oh. and uh, we'll, see, we'll see where they come out at the end. And it became uh, pretty obvious uh, pretty early on that I was going to get paid a lot of money to write a book about how buying stuff won't make you happy. And I remember just sitting down with Kim on our couch. It was, um, uh, we had a blue couch <laughs> yeah. and I just said, Kim, like, I, I think we have to decide like right away, do we believe everything that we're saying, or are we going to take the income that is coming out of nowhere that we don't need and buy a bigger house and buy nicer cars and buy bigger screen television and new furniture? And like, are we going to do all those things? Uh, or do we really believe uh, everything we've been writing about? And uh, of course, we believed everything that we have been writing about. And so uh, we used the book money uh, to uh, start the nonprofit, the, the Hope Effect. Very cool. And, and kind of since that point, has have you kind of created some rules or some guidelines for yourself and in, in how you do that going forward as you as you have success with you know say now this new book and you know the other stuff you've written how are you how are you thinking about that and 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 incorporating your giving into into that going forward um we uh uh the the book ones um become the book ones are easier than um, other unexpected sources of income that that might come up because uh, the books are become very planned out. Like you're going to get paid this much on this date and mm -hmm. that much on the published date and that much that much afterwards. And so uh, it's it's easier, I think, to budget those numbers and say, okay, well, we know we're going to need this much for um, uh, promotion and marketing and. Uh, we're going to need this much to uh, to to pay, you know, a researcher to to help with the book, and so then uh, we have this much left over that we can uh, give to the Hope Effect. Um, uh, then I, I I don't think that we have a uh, a very specific. Uh, we give away this. We have a, a certain percentage that we give away um, every every month going forward. Um, and then uh, there just tends to be a, a general sense of, okay, more money's coming in than we need uh, to, to pay. Um, I, I just take a, a salary from the company and then uh, we have other people that we pay now as well. Um, and so uh, what comes in above and beyond that, uh, a large percentage of it tends to go to um, uh, the hope effect. But, uh, but yeah, there isn't any, but there's no... Uh, there's no specific metric. There's no specific formula that 
that we use. Maybe, uh, maybe we should. Um, but you know, it's been, um, uh, everything, so much got thrown up in the air in 2020, you know, and, and yeah. what, uh, what was expected and, and what was normal, you know, everything for a, for a season there becomes, well, let's, let's see how this is going to go. And yeah, if this is sure. going to, you know, continue, uh, continue on for sure. And, and I don't think you mentioned, but what, what does the hope effect do? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> the hope effect, uh, our goal is to change the way the world cares for orphans. <clears throat> um, which, uh, basically, uh, you can say it this way. Um, there are, uh, roughly 90 million orphan children in the world, uh, according to UNICEF's definition, uh, less than 1%, uh, will ever be adopted in any given year. And so how we care for all the remaining children matters quite a bit. And, uh, what most people don't realize is that we have had <clears throat> decades worth of research that institutional orphanages um, aren't particularly helpful for children. Um, they're better than being on the streets, certainly. But when you think of you know four walls and a whole bunch of kids and workers, you know uh, coming in for eight to ten hour shifts or or whatever it might be that kids fall behind in every stage of human development. Mm. Um, the, I, I always think that the best example is uh, if you have a newborn uh, in your family and the baby smiles, it's like the biggest thing that happened in, in, in your life. And you're like calling everyone into the room and you're trying to get the baby to smile again and, you're calling all your friend. You're calling your mom that that the baby just smiled, and it's like this moment where the like the baby knows that uh, this is this was something big that I just did. But if you're in an orphanage and you're a baby and you're in a crib and you smile and there's no one there to respond and you smile again and there's no one there to respond and a third time, then the the brain just doesn't develop correctly that this is how I interact with, with the world. And then you multiply that over, over every first, uh, the, the first word that you speak, the first time you try to walk, even the, the first time you, you pull a little girl's hair. And if there isn't some sort of interaction, uh, attention that, that happens there, then, uh, the brain just doesn't develop, um, correctly. And so this is how, this is how kids begin to fall behind. And so in, in most developed nations, um, America, for example, and, and others, uh, like we've learned this. And so we use the foster care system rather than an orphanage. And while the foster care system isn't perfect and still has a lot of troubles, it's better than all the kids going to the same orphanage um, with, with adults coming in and, and coming out. And so our goal is we work in developing nations that still use um, orphanages. Uh, Mexico, uh, Honduras, uh, we're in Thailand, we're moving into Cambodia uh, later this year. Um, we work to change laws uh, if it needs to happen. We work to, to find families. And our goal is to get orphan children into families, not necessarily adopted, although that's great, uh, but sometimes just uh, uh, more similar to a, a foster care model 
uh, where kids can get the attention and affection that, that they deserve. That's great. And I, I just full disclosure for anyone listening, you know, that's one of the reasons I initially reached out is because I've uh, gone to a children's home that's in Mexico for a number of years. And so whenever I heard about the hope effect, I was, uh, I, I read Joshua's stuff before, but I never heard about that. And so, or I never, you know, it had never connected the dots. And so when I heard that, I thought that was cool. And, and for me, this things that matter book really is kind of a culmination of everything that was before it. And that this piece kind of, for me, goes back to a lot of those motivations. And uh, I'm just going to read a quote here from the book. It says, uh, the more we remove ourselves from the empty pursuit of money, the more we are drawn to others-centered living. And the more we are drawn to helping others, the greater lives of lasting significance we end up living. And I think you've with with starting the hope effect you've been able to to do that and i think um not that everyone's going to go out there and start their own nonprofit right but but being involved and being focused on what's outside of your pursuits is a lot of times the the biggest driver that you can possibly have when you you know just going back to the original stat that you said um that came from the came from the survey that we did that 79% of people think they'll be happier, believe they'll be happier if they have more money. Um, that thought, I'll be happier if I have more money, uh, can't coexist with a generous heart, um, at least not very easily. Like if, if I want to be generous, if I want to uh, support causes that I'm passionate about, if I want to give resources to solve problems that I see in the world. But I'm but I constantly think that I'll also be happier if I have more money myself. Uh, it just becomes this constant tension. Um, and I, I think instead if we can get to the point of realizing, hey, okay, I I have enough. Uh, I don't have as much as someone else does, but I yeah. have enough to prepare, um, to provide for my family and to provide for me. Um, I can begin supporting some of these things and, uh, um, and, and making, uh, begin living out towards some of those, um, values and some of those, uh, passions and purposes that I think are so important. Yeah. And we start putting that, if I had on it, you see a lot of that people will have a job and they won't like their job. So, so if I can change jobs, right, if I can change jobs, that will change everything. Or if I can get more money or if I can get this next thing, the reality is you have to understand what's making you unhappy first before that changing of that job is the right decision. And yeah. so yeah. often you see people jump from job to job because they're looking for that external thing to fulfill them or to fill them up. And yeah, uh, that's a never. Yeah. Ending. And I, I, uh, I, I, maybe we'll touch on it a little bit later, but, um, like, and I just want to mention, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be compensated for our work. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying yeah. that we shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying that we shouldn't excel in our career. I'm not saying that if someone offers us a raise, we turn it down. Uh, I'm saying, um, be careful that money isn't becoming the motivation for the, 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 
the way you spend you, your days and the way you spend your time. Uh, there's a, a time and place to to work hard for sure. And there's a whole chapter on the importance of working hard. Uh, so I think we work hard and I, I think we accept the compensation that comes from it. And there are some people who are incredibly gifted. If you give them a nickel, they turn into a quarter. <laughs> like, I, like you keep doing that. Like you keep doing what you're good at. Uh, just be careful of this thinking that I need more money to be happy or more money will make me happy. Uh, because when that begins to uh, take primary focus in uh, in our lives and in our decision making, um, I think this is when we get to the end of our lives and uh, regret some of the decisions that we made along the way. Yeah. Well, since we've we've kind of gone there, let's talk about you call this distraction of leisure, and this is this is honestly one of my favorite parts of the book because um, there's a lot of stuff that goes around in society these days talking about this and. Your survey question really hammered this home. You asked the question, uh, would you rather retire early and live a life of leisure or would you rather work a long time at a job you find fulfilling and productive? 52% uh, gave that retire early answer. And your, your, ta- your chapter, which I, I enjoyed kind of your, the headings and all these things, but the chapter title for that was beaches get boring. Right. And so I'd say you probably disagree. I, I disagree with that. What, what's your counterpoint to this 52% that say they would rather retire and live that life life of leisure? Uh, my, my counterpoint is that, um, that work, uh, before it became a four letter word in our, <laughs> in our culture, for some reason, uh, work is actually very, meaningful. Uh, I mean, work is, uh, uh, work is, and, and I could draw a distinction between work and career or work and what we do to make money. Like there's a difference between those things, but work at its core is me doing what I'm good at for the benefit of other people. And when, um, when we're all doing what we're good at, uh, for the sake of others, then work becomes uh, meaningful and everybody benefits from this. Uh, the problem is, is that so many of us today view work through a very selfish lens. Uh, work is what I do to make the money so I can go buy the stuff so that I can take the vacation or work is what I go to do so I can make enough money so I can finally stop working for the rest of my life. And I just argue in, in the book that I think we would all benefit uh, by beginning to see work not as something that we do for ourselves, but work is really an act of, of love. Uh, work, is, uh, work is what I do that brings benefit into somebody else's life. Um, and when we see it that way, it becomes far more meaningful than just the paycheck every two weeks. It becomes something that we are proud of over the course of our lives. Uh, it becomes something that we uh, get to the end of our lives and we're proud of the contribution that we brought into uh, into life. And so if someone wants to say, well, I'm just retiring from this job that I hate so that I can go volunteer my time doing this and doing that, then I think that's great. Or 
Um, I'm, I'm older. I can't do the same physical labor that I used to. I need to retire from that career, but I can still volunteer my skills or I can use my skills to train up uh, younger people working in this, in this craft. Then that's all I, I need to retire so I can care for my grandkids so that my daughter can, can go work. Like that's, that's all work in my book. Um, I'm just arguing against hey, I'm, I'm checking out of life for the last 15 years mm-hmm. so that I can go play golf every day and lay on the beach and, and play shuffleboard. I think, uh, I think when, that, uh, becomes, when that becomes the goal, uh, when that becomes the way we spend our last you know, 20 years, I, I think we get to the end and we're like, what happened to the time? There's, there's so much more uh, I could have done and uh, so much good that I, I could have accomplished with, with my life. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit on this podcast and, and I've, I actually, uh, I guess was a little bit controversial on social media a little bit. Cause I talked about the fire movement and things that I felt like were kind of wrong with it. And I think there's a lot of that, that is, well, I'm going to be done here because I'm going to go do this thing that means more to me. But until you've done that thing that potentially means more you're choosing the suffering today for some future potential reward that you don't know what that outcome is. And, uh, you're, you're delaying that you're delaying that happiness or delaying that purpose for now for something that's there in the future. And so I think that's yeah. where, that's where even, even if there's, you know, work involved in that, I think that's a, that's a secondary or tertiary issue to this idea of leisure is it all goes back to the way we work and the way we think about work. Because yeah. this idea of leisure that we know it today comes from how toxic our work is, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, the whole idea of retirement is pretty new in human history. I, I even lay out the history in in the book, yeah. but 120 years old, maybe. Like never in human history has retirement even been a thing. Um, and then it was actually started by politicians back in the back in the day to, to garner votes. Um, interestingly enough, but when you think about it, I like I I really wonder how much it's how much it's benefiting our lives. Like just turn on the television and see how many commercials there are about saving money for retirement and and stressed about retirement and am I saving enough and am I making enough and will I have enough and like all the stress that goes into uh, this whole idea of retirement, as opposed to just embracing the idea of, hey, um, I like the work that I'm doing. My my work is meaningful to me. Why would I stop at some arbitrary age set by who knows who? Um, whether whether I I my my grandpa always says the the best fruit grows on the most mature trees and you know i think the i think the reality is certainly life changes and our um physical abilities change as we get older but just resigning ourselves to the fact that i have to stop working at a certain age and i have to be stressed that i'm having going to have enough money when i get there um uh, is just it, it's interesting when i when i when i think about it the if 
where do we ever find joy in work if the whole goal of work is to get out of it as mm-hmm. soon as I possibly can? I just think that there's probably a better way to yeah. uh, look at work and look at the ways that we're living. Yeah, for sure. So what would be your suggestion for people uh, that are struggling through that, trying to figure out how to reframe that differently from the way society is right now? What pieces of advice could you give them to help them start on that process? My uh, my advice is, uh, and yeah, let me let me mention a, another piece of criticism that I that I sometimes hear from people, um, where they think I'm saying that hey, um, quit the job that you hate and and go chase your passion that where mm-hmm. you find meaning. Uh, like there's a time and a place to do that, but I think that the the better advice for all of us is to begin seeing and begin thinking about work, the work that we do today, in terms of how does the work that I do benefit other people? Because um, maybe there's a small percentage of jobs in the world that aren't benefiting other people, but most jobs, most of the things that we're doing bring benefit to other people. The, The cashier at the grocery store, I always think is the perfect example, the cashier at the grocery store, like if it wasn't for her, then uh, how does, like her job is to take the money from me and get it to the farmer who's <laughs> growing the food. Like this is a pretty important job. Um, uh, all the, uh, you know, you could go, you could go all the way down the, the bus driver, like they help kids get to school so they can learn to read and write and live productive lives. The, the, the accountant helps the, uh, you know, helps the, the business leader make the decisions that they need to uh, whatever their business might be in the world. And so when we start to think through, uh, my job brings this good into the world. It benefits these people. It serves these people. Uh, I think then we start to get, um, we change this mindset that mm-hmm. that work is just all about the paycheck that I bring in and I can't wait to have enough that I can stop doing it. And instead we start to see, hey, wait a minute, like the farmers rely on me. The If it wasn't for me, you know, these, how would these kids be getting to, getting to school? Uh, I don't love every aspect of my job, but um, I'm bringing a good into the world and and my job is serving others and my job is loving others and it's helping. Yeah. Others. Well, and I've thought about this example before, but you can, you know, think of the worst job that you can possibly think of. Like what would be your idea of a worst job? And maybe it's the trash worker, maybe it's this, but I guarantee you, you can find someone who's in that job, who's doing it with joy. And if they're able to do that with joy, then it tells me that it's not the job that's the problem. It's the the mindset or the choice that you're making in the way you approach the job. Uh, yeah, and and even for the even on the flip side, like you could find anyone who's doing uh, their whatever they're entirely passionate about. Like to the hundred, they get to choose their own day and they get to choose their own work. And there are still things that they have to do that they don't like doing. It's just the nature of work. There's uh, there are no perfect jobs. Um, it's just the the nature of what work means. It, uh, it's going to require effort. I listened to a podcast with you where you mentioned for people that are going to be writers and beyond, like basically to enjoy the time when you're not making money off of that, because that's you, once you go into 
you're making money off of it. There's pressure. Did you have a difficult transition around that? Was that, or, or was that just, you know, it just changes the dynamic. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I wrote on the blog as, as a hobby for, five, uh, five or six, five years maybe. And then, uh, I've been writing full time for the last, uh, eight or nine years. And, uh, absolutely it was, um, yeah, it changes a lot. Um, when it's, when it's just a hobby, you can say whatever you want and you don't, you don't feel any pressure that you have to, you know, provide for your family by, by what you're writing. Um, and then suddenly it becomes a thing that you rely on to, uh, to pay the mortgage and like, Oh man, I gotta, I don't want to say something wrong where everyone's going to turn me off and I'm not going to be able to provide for my, there's just a freedom, I think in, uh, enjoying the process when it's, uh, when it's just a hobby for sure. Yeah. Well, this is, this is more just for me here. I'm curious, uh, you know, being, a, you know, you're on, you know, a number of different social media platforms. Obviously there's a lot of distractions that come with that but it's part of your job or part of, you know, what you do. How does, how do you approach or do you have any frameworks or things that you do to try and really limit the distraction that you get from that? Very subconsciously, I don't spend time on social media platforms that I don't enjoy spending time on. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I've never subscribed to the thinking that you have to be everywhere and you have to be on anything and everything. Uh, I'm 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 on Facebook and I'm I'm on Facebook primarily, um, but I do a little bit of Instagram and a little bit of uh, Twitter. Um, the other ones, I just um, yeah, I never really got into them and never really loved them and. Um, so number one, that's uh, subconsciously. The, the other thing for me is uh, like, I just want to weigh, uh, where am I being effective? Uh, where am I uh, winning, so to say? Like, like, where does my message fit well? Uh, where am I reaching people? What is, what is growing? And where am I just throwing energy and, and nothing is happening? Um, and cause I want to take those out and I want to focus my energies on the things that are, are making a difference. And, um, I, 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 I say this, uh, believing it as much as I, I possibly can, like my motivation has never been like financial in, in my returns. So it's not, Hey, I'm on Facebook because that's where I make the most money. I'm on YouTube because that's where I make the most money. Uh, for me, it's where am I reaching the most amount of people? Uh, where can I, uh, where can I help the most amount of people? Where's my message tend to be resonating with people? Uh, and so that tends to, to drive, um, where I spend my time. And I, and in the, on the back end of that, like, uh, the more you help people, the, uh, the more, uh, money comes in from it. Like I, I was thinking, the whole idea of business is you help people and, and they'll, uh, support you for it. They'll, if you're providing something that people need or want, then, then they'll pay you for it. And so, um, when, when the goal of business is just how I make money, I, I think we're, uh, getting the, 
getting the secondary goal in front of the primary goal, which is uh, how can I help people and how can I respond to people's needs? Um, and then uh, they'll compensate you for it. Yeah. The person that knows the need that they have and is able to speak to that need and help them is the one that's going to ultimately, you know, maybe it's not the short-term solution, but long-term that's actually probably the way to more money, you know, unintentionally, but, and it's also more fulfilling because you're getting that, yep. that, yeah, we'll we'll yep. wrap up here. But I'm curious, you know, as a minimalist, you know, running your business, you know, you've got your books, you've got five different books, you have two magazines, you know, you're you're active on social, you have a nonprofit. How do you decide what you're going to take on and what you're not going to take on? Yeah, probably some of the the same answers to the last one, just concerning where do I where do I spend time on social media? Um, what's my uh, what's my biggest opportunity to to make a difference in the world? What's the what's the best way that that I can reach people and impact people and inspire and help people? Um, and uh, just constantly asking asking that question. Um, I, I tend to be a, a bit of a bit of a high capacity personality, just in terms of like I feel like I can do all these things um, at work and and still you know, have hobbies and still have time with my family. And so, um, if I reach a point where I feel like I'm overextended, then, you know, what, what do I need to sub subtract from, from my life? But, um, I don't tend to be, um, uh, an entrepreneurial spirit who's like jumping at any and every idea that, that pops up. Uh, but I, I tend to be a slow decision maker actually. And so if I hear an idea, uh, and I, I still like it a month or two down the road, then uh, usually it's something that I'll uh, pursue um, professionally. Very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time to jump on here today. Had a, enjoyed having this conversation. Uh, you tell people where to go to find you. Becomingminimalist.com is, is home base for me. Uh, the book that we've uh, talked about today is called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. And that can be found just about anywhere books are sold. Yeah. And I would encourage you to pick it up. I've, um, it was, I really enjoyed it of all the books I would, I would honestly say of all the books that I've read this year. Um, it was the one that I've enjoyed the most, um, got the most out of. So I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke when I'm saying to go pick it up. We'll put the link in the show notes. And, um, again, thanks for, thanks for your time today, Joshua. Thank you.